1: If I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today. Russ, there are days when you're more proud of your kids than normal. I mean, I think you're proud of your kids nonstop, right? Let's just say that. But there are days that stick out. One of those days was yesterday, Uh, picked Adler up from her day camp thing that she's been attending in the summer. And um, she just nonchalantly, I said, hey, what did you do at Let's Play today? She's, you know, Let's Play, if you don't know. It's one of these, like, obstacle course places indoors. They have, like, trampolines and bouncies and a million things a kid can do. And I said, Adler, what was your favorite thing? She's like, when I was doing the worm on the dance floor.
0: (laughs) Doing the worm. (laughs)
1: Literally, my seven-year-old is doing the worm on the dance floor, let's play. And all I could think was, I'm so proud.
0: It's (laughs) like father like daughter.
1: (laughs) She pulled it out. Here's the thing, though, Russ, you got to go against the grain, right? Our guest today, Tyler Cobble, starts talking about his journey to financial freedom starting in college when he looks up and realizes what am I doing with my time? All these people around me, I can go make a hundred thousand dollars. If I could just go into sales right now, why am I sitting here wasting my time? He went against the flow just like my sweet daughter Adler
0: doing the worm
1: Mm. on the dance floor at let's play.
0: Yeah. The the difference is she had a great example at home on, on, on being awkward and different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she like <laughs> this is totally passed down that nut has not fallen too far from the tree no Agreed. doubt Agreed. Right, here let me sum up this interview for you so as you you kind of break it down you're going to get to kind of hear yeah as joey just said how that epiphany happened with tyler and saying hey are the, is the skill set that i'm trying to learn say in college really the thing that i need to be successful and for him he said no there's a couple of things he had to do. He had to go learn it from somewhere else. And then he decided to break out on his entrepreneurial journey. And as he did that, he started learning things along the way. And then he got into syndications and, you know, by happenstance. And in that, he realized that partnerships with other people were way more valuable. And whether that's partnering with money or partnering with people's background, that's what helped him create something bigger and then the end game for him, what is financial freedom? How did he how did he define that? I think it's super interesting that I want you to hear it. And what is his goal? What is what is his mark that he wants to leave? What is the legacy that he wants to leave behind? These are all points that I took out of this interview. And I want you to hear it as Joey and I jump in right now with the interview with Tyler Cobble. Russ Morgan,
1: and Joey Muray. Welcome into the show. Today, we're speaking with Nashville native and developer extraordinaire, Mr.
2: Tyler Cobble. Tyler, welcome to the show. Joey, Russ, thanks for having me on, guys. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah. Well, I I want to take you back to a moment where you were sitting in college and you, you came to this thought that really has impacted the fact that we're sitting here today. Would you mind sharing it with us?
2: Yeah, I was sitting in geology class, which uh, you know I'd I'd taken back in eighth grade, and and so going through the same material, I couldn't help but sit there and start thinking like, what the hell am I doing here? And I started annualizing the income that I'd made the summer before, which was you know thirty grand, and. After thinking about that over twelve months, I was like, "Man, if if I got out of this class, I, I dropped out of college, and I just did sales full time, I'd be making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. That's more than most of my friends will be making graduating with college degrees. I need to get out of here." Uh, so I dropped out of college, and I haven't looked back since.
0: <laughs> well, you're you're right. A lot of people don't graduate making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. That is when I got out of college, I think I was making $32,000 a year. So that that's a, a significant increase. And I don't want to hear any comments from you, Joey, on how long that was probably before Tyler <laughs> well, I, was sitting in college. I just recently
1: gave Russ a raise to $40,000 a year. So that's crazy <laughs> that you're making that kind of money.
0: Tyler. Still Still making, hey, it you got to keep up with inflation, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right. So you you mentioned, though, in that, which I think I just want to break this out because this kind of leads into your to your story and what you're doing. Right. Like you've you've created an amazing commercial business, uh, real estate business there in Nashville. But you said the writing was on the wall where the summer before you had made 30 grand over a period of three months. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I had, uh, right after I graduated high school, I started selling for Cutco. Um, actually, my my neighbor had sold to my mom probably five years before when I was a little kid. So I grew up using the knives. And I heard that he had made 10 grand that summer. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's so much money. I can do that. So, you know, once I, you had to be 18. So once I turned 18, graduated uh, school, I, I went and worked for Cutco, made 30 grand um, and realized that I was really good at sales. And so that was what ended up, you're right, sending me on the trajectory that I'm on today because the boutique developer that actually offered me a job uh, to come work for him in commercial real estate after I dropped out of college, uh, I had sold Cutco Knives to for his beach house. So uh, he liked how I handled the sales process and wanted me to come sell for him. So he ended up uh, paying for me to get my real estate license. And he gave me a shopping center that he had developed uh, in an office building that they owned in Midtown uh, to go lease because this was 2013, they were like 70% occupied, which is really bad. Uh, and and he just wanted somebody to focus on it full time. So that's pretty much all I did for the first two years of my career. Wow. So what, what do
1: you think it was um, for you that then took you from that point uh, of working for someone else's development company and, and leasing company that started to make sense? Like what, what's your next step from there?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I had always been entrepreneurial growing up. You know, I was always, I started a pressure washing company one summer, you know, because my uncle had told me to go start an LLC. Right. And so I, I was always trying to do these side hustles to make money. And I got to sit in on the development meetings every week as the in house leasing agent for this development firm, which most commercial real estate agents never get that opportunity. And because of that, three years into the business, I was able to put together my first development deal which was 42 for sale townhomes in Bellevue, which is, you know, 10, 15 minutes Southwest of Nashville. And having gone through that experience and learning how to do everything, uh, I felt that I was, you know, I had the confidence to go off on my own and start doing it my way. You know, there were a lot of things that I couldn't do when I was working for somebody else that uh, frustrated me beyond belief. Um, I had all of these ideas for for marketing us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube through podcasting, you know everything that we're now doing today that has helped me build my businesses to where they are. And I was on a very tight leash; wasn't able to do any of that. Well, of course, the first year that I go off on my own, I tripled my business. So I had I, I had at least a couple of things right, uh, which was which was good to see. So. <laughs> Well, I, I know as you're riding down the road, you're like, you're
0: resonating with that. Whether you're still in a job where you think, man, I could be doing this so much better if if I only could as an entrepreneur, like you've already taken off and you're like, yeah, I, I've been there. I've seen I've seen it done with Tyler's talking about. I know, know that kind of feeling. And, and that's that's the, the key, right, is that you get that opportunity to take action on that. But You you talked about some of the successes. Well, for some of us, we didn't we didn't always launch out and have triple the income. What
2: were some of the lessons you learned along that way too? Oh man, the next year I actually had a dip in revenue, and so I had had a great lesson out of that because I, you know, several months into starting the business, I was like, okay, it's time to start hiring people. We're doing so well. Well, I'm not a people manager. I'm not good at uh, you know directing people and growing people um, and helping them, you know, I I think it up here, but I don't always verbalize it because I'm more of a lone wolf. Like I'm going to go out and do my sales thing and then I'll come back. Right. Like I don't need to sit here and babysit you. I just don't have the patience or the, or the, um, the personality for that. And so I hired, you know, three, four, five people and ended up revenue went down because I wasn't able to go out there and sell full-time. I was now having to babysit all of these people that I couldn't properly coach. I couldn't properly manage. So was part of it, you know, I mean, I think it really all comes back to me as a leader. I probably didn't make the right hires. I probably didn't take the right amount of time to train them. Uh, And then I probably hired too many too fast. So that was kind of, uh, that was a, that was a tough lesson to learn. And you know, I've had ebbs and flows. Like, fortunately, that that roller coaster is 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 heading north. But I feel like at every growth point in our company, we've hit that where, you know, I've hired too much. Okay, we need to call the herd and then you know grow again, um, because it's just it's not my skill set. So, trying to figure out how to to continue growing with that in mind. But yeah, I mean, that was a very tough lesson to learn. And you start looking at it the next year, you're like, man, why am I I'm losing money now? Uh, So that was frustrating.
1: Well, entrepreneurship is a constant learning lesson. Uh, I think we started by talking about you sitting in a college class and remembering your eighth grade class covering the same exact information. And, you know, polarizing ends of the spectrum is being an entrepreneur. And you're constantly in that learning phase, constantly applying new skills and new ideas and it's a pretty amazing teacher uh, being an entrepreneur. Talk to us a little bit. I want to break down exactly kind of what your business model looks like, because that was one of the reasons we wanted to interview you is it's not so cookie cutter. It's not just like every other kind of commercial developer that's out there. Talk, talk to a little bit about your unique kind of approach.
2: That's right. We're very different in many ways. I mean, one, and how we're structured, two, and the types of projects that we do, and three, how we approach them. But... Uh, In terms of structure, you know, I started off at a boutique development firm. And because of that, we did office, retail, industrial, multifamily, new family construction, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, single family home construction, uh, townhome developments. I mean, it was everything. So I I really got a good feel for everything. Um, And in-house, we had construction, development, leasing, management, accounting, and you name it. It was all in-house. And so what I liked about that was I could walk down the hall and talk to the project manager. And then I could walk next to his office and talk to the leasing agent or talk to the property manager. And we could really expedite deals a lot faster than what I saw all of these other teams doing because, you know, this national brokerage has to call their client who's out of town. And then they've got to call the property manager who's across town. And it's just a lot of coordination with totally different entities. So when I went off to start my own firm, I, I knew day one, you know, we're gonna start off with the brokerage because there's little to no overhead here. It's just me, I just gotta go sell things. Uh, and then we're gonna grow into this vertically integrated firm that has hands on every aspect of the deal so that we can control that. So we started off with the brokerage doing leasing and sales. About six months later, I started a property management company. We had a bunch of clients that were selling residential portfolios and 1031 exchanging into resi- uh, into retail shopping centers. And then about a year later, we started the development and investment firm. So now there's, I don't know, seven or 10 different streams of income for us on every single deal that we do. So what that means for my investors is that I don't have to go out and do a ton of deals in order for us to make enough money to be comfortable, right? So we can do one or two deals at a time, focus on making those absolutely incredible, uh, and then you know stabilize those and move on to the next one. Whereas some of these other firms, you know, the way that they make the the majority of their money is by points on the acquisition on the front end. So then they're incentivized to just go buy as many deals as possible and maybe not treat them as the investment that they truly are.
1: Talk about how that's different for you. Like you don't have the same incentive to go out and just sell a new deal because you're just building, you said multiple streams of income. Talk about how those actually play together.
2: Yeah, so so, I mean, let's just walk through it. So on on any given deal, Um, we get paid an acquisition fee for the development team. The brokerage will typically get paid a a sales fee, right, on the sale of the property. The brokerage can then collect a leasing fee on any tenants that we put into the properties. Property management is managing the property and the tenants. They'll collect a property management fee. Uh, The development team will collect an asset management fee since they're managing the asset level of the property uh, the brokerage can get a sales fee. The development team gets a a development fee, uh, as well as a disposition or refi fee. So there's, you know, I know I'm throwing a lot of things out there, but there's a lot of different points in the deal where we can make money. And, uh, those are all normal areas or fees that would be in any given deal. They just typically go to, you'd hire a separate property management company. You'd hire a separate leasing company, Uh, to do all of this stuff, whereas we get to keep it in house. So we charge market rates, but that means that we're not going to have to charge you three points on an acquisition fee or, you know, a point per month on uh, management of assets uh, or total equity under management for the project. So really our incentives are directly aligned with yours because they're all performance incentives, right? Like we get a leasing fee when we get a tenant that's going to pay us rent, that's going to then help me return the capital back to you. So... Uh, there's, there's a lot of other firms that I, I just feel like have, have, you know, misaligned incentives when you have a, when the only fee somebody's collecting is a percentage of equity under management, they can collect that whether the deal performs or not. Right. So what what's really their incentive to go make the deal worth a lot more? I mean, yeah, of course they want to be able to continue raising capital in the future. But what if this is a group that doesn't really care about that?
1: Russ, I remember my dad specifically say to me, Joey, You got to go to college. I don't want you to end up like me. And you know what my dad was saying is in order for things to change, things have to change. You can't end up just like me.
0: Well, I think, I mean, we, we, as parents, sometimes we take on the burden thinking about our kids and and how we want something better for them. And we want to know what will their future look like if I don't take action, if I don't do something different. See, in my house, I'm the role model. You're
1: your kid's role model. And the buck stops with you. It's time to take action. If you're ready to take action, join us at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash passport and get started on your own journey to
0: financial freedom. All right, let's jump back into this episode. So let me ask a question. I want to level set here. So you you start off, you went into sales, into the commercial uh, leasing space. You're, you're working for a group who's doing a lot of specialized service, doing lots of things. You say, hey, I, I think I can do this for myself. You go out and and start doing some of these yourself. When is it
2: that you bring on investors? Like immediately? No, no, no. It took a couple of years. I was, uh, I was actually afraid to go. Even though I had developed a property, I had never raised capital um, to take down an investment. So I started my firm in 2018 and it wasn't until February of 2019 that i closed on our first office asset so a full year later i when i first started the company i i was planning on just sitting and hoarding cash because i felt like at that point in the cycle we were about to see some sort of downturn we'd been on this upswing for so long and no everybody was starting to talk about it but that summer Ernst and young announced 1500 jobs. Alliance Bernstein announced 5,000 jobs, uh, or maybe not 5,000. I forgot how many they announced. Um, Amazon announced 5,000 jobs. And as soon as that Amazon announcement hit, it was, I mean, Nashville just took off. It was on fire. Everybody, uh, you know, I started getting calls, people wanting to invest, people wanting to buy left and right. Um, because Nashville was now on the national radar. People were like, wow, Amazon's going to Nashville, what's going on there? So uh, that was when I started feeling comfortable enough. I actually, I didn't even put the property under uh, contract with the intent of raising capital for it. Since I'm a broker, I had a client that we were helping buy this property. And his dad ended up deciding not to fund his investment for his business. So he didn't have any other way of raising capital. So he said, hey, I've got to drop it. And to me, it was a you know $600,000 property. That's an $18,000 commission. I was like, no, 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 hold on. Let me figure this out. Let you know, I'll assi- let me find another client that we can assign this to. Found another client, assigned it to him. And almost the same thing ended up happening to him. His bank said, hey, we're not going to extend your line of credit. We're not going to let you buy this. And at that point, we've been under contract for four months. I knew the property really well. I said, you know what? Assign it to me. I'll figure it out. I made two phone calls um, to to two guys that had been seeing me for the last five years of what I had been doing in my business, and I'd never asked them for anything. And I said, look, I've got a deal. Here's what I'm going to do with it. Here's what I need from you. I need 50 grand each, and here's why it's going to be a good one. And they didn't even hesitate. I didn't even have to put an offering memorandum together. I didn't have to put underwriting together. They just knew based on what I had been doing, for the last five years in commercial real estate, that it was worth doing. Um, so we, I raised the money on two phone calls. It was the easiest capital raise I'd ever done. So,
1: all right. So that's how you got into it. What have you learned so far about then how to put deals like that together on a much bigger scale? Because I know that's not where you, you've ended. You continue to continue to grow and, and build additional deal flow
2: that are going to require much more investor capital. That's that's right. That's right. So that deal we only you know put together 125 grand, right? I threw in 25 thousand of my own money. Uh, the last deal that we just closed out was a four million dollar capital raise. So in three years, I went from 125 thousand dollars raised to four million dollars raised for a single deal. So uh, we have learned a lot. Learned a lot. Um, you know, for the more sophisticated projects, when you're asking for hundred thousand uh, dollars, fifty to hundred thousand dollars from an investor you've got to have a full offer memorandum. You've got to do all of your research. You have to show all of the numbers. You have to show what your entire... It's basically a business plan for the project, right? Because they need to know that you know what you're doing. If they're going to give you that much money and you're going to go go to work on it, uh, you've got to know what the plan is. You need to be able to convey that to them. And track record was a big thing for us because when I first started out, Obviously, I didn't have one. But I went and partnered with the right people that had such an extensive track record that they were able to lend their experience to me. That is huge, no matter what industry you're in. If you can find a mentor or a couple of partners that can lend you their track record. I mean, I raised deal for my first syndication. The first syndication I ever did, we raised about $450,000. I raised it based on my partner's track record. I didn't have one. I'd never syndicated before. I had never bought an office building. It was a 12,000 square foot office building. I'd never done a renovation like that before. I couldn't have done it on my own. So yeah, we've, I've learned that, you know, you really have to have your marketing and your plan put together, um, for these projects moving forward. And, and, and there's always there's two different types of, of people that we're pitching to, right? You've got the engineer that wants to see every little minute detail. So they wanna they're gonna read the full 30 pages of the offering memorandum. They're gonna have 37 questions. And then you got the guys that are more like myself that'll go through it and be like, Man, this looks really cool. Where where do I sign? Right. And it's and it's funny how hard you'll work sometimes for a hundred thousand dollar investment. And then another guy's like, cool. I've got 700 grand. Where do I wire it? You're like, man, it's, it's, it's just kind of funny how the world works. But yeah, those are some of the lessons that I've learned over the years.
0: Well, I love the fact that you also pointed out that sometimes we don't have to have the track record. We just need to partner with someone who does. Like we, The same thing is you didn't have to have the money to do the deal. You just had to partner with someone who does. And uh, we had a guest on our show that, um, said partnerships build championships, right? Like, And you got to find right. where those partnerships are to help you to, to navigate that. Now, as you look back on that, do you say, man, those first couple of deals that I did all on my own,
2: I wish I would have? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Having those partnerships was the best thing that I could have ever done, right? I mean, even on the first development deal I did, I only had 10%. You know, I, I feel like a lot of the questions that I get from younger people wanting to get into development and real estate is like, how can I give somebody the least amount possible to help me get this deal done? So, and, and I think that, that is the absolute wrong mentality. Like, yeah, of course you want to retain equity because you're going to make money on it, but this is the first of hopefully hundreds of deals that you do. Give away the farm just for the track record, just for the experience. Um, I was talking to a, to an agent who has a 30 something unit, uh, new construction development, like just the land um, under contract. And she was wanting me to find her a partner that you know would only take 50% of it, but they bring all the capital to the table, they sign on the debt, they bring their debt partner, they develop it. I was like, what did they offer? Because she, she turned somebody down and, and I was like, what did they offer you? And she said, 20%. And I said, they offered you 20% and they would do everything? call them back and take that deal right now. <laughs> I, I did that for 10% and the ex, I would have done it for free n- just for the experience now. Well,
1: now that's your track record, right? That, exactly. When you say, I don't have a track record, I had to borrow someone's whatever, that is exactly what you're talking about. And I'm bringing this kind of full circle from what we talked about, maybe it was offline, but when you talk about the value of college and education, you're sitting in a class, Wondering what am I doing here, right? I'm learning the same stuff that I've already learned. It's not you. You mentioned offline how you were taking your first your freshman classes, and it was like none of them had to do with building a business or entrepreneurship of any sort whatsoever. And now we're talking about how you've brought in partners, mentors, um, track records, trust, like all those things are what build amazing entrepreneurs and opportunities for building wealth and financial freedom. With that being said, I I just wanna kind of tie a bow on that. How would you define that for somebody else, Tyler? Like what is your um, description of financial freedom?
2: Yeah, I mean, financial freedom for me is having the, the, the passive income to know that I don't have to worry about my living expenses. Which means that I can go out and do the projects that I want to do. And I don't have to worry about how much money they're going to make me. I, I do the projects that I'm doing because I think they're badass. I think they're cool. And I think we're having a positive impact on the community. And I enjoy waking up and doing that every day. I don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to make, you know, this much money on it? If not, I'm not going to do the deal. Like it's just to me. And I know it's it's probably because I'm I'm at a, a point in my career where I've been successful enough I don't have to worry about how much money I'm going to make on every project. I know that if we do a really cool project, we're going to make money. So to me, I put the project first, and then the money comes after that. You know, whereas I feel like a lot of people, especially when they're starting off, it's it's money first, mm-hmm. and then what am I doing? And I think that that is the wrong mentality because you make. You make these subliminal uh, or subconscious decisions that can negatively impact you because people will perceive you differently, uh, but also the outcome of those jobs.
0: I love that. And I think for all of us, as we listen to Tyler say that, we need to really assess what is financial freedom for us and why is it so important that we're going to not stop short of obtaining it. Right. And it has to be tied to emotion. It has to be tied to things that are personal. Right. Right. Whether that's personal, like I want to spend more time with family or I want to make a lasting impact where on the city. Right. Like I want to put my, my my touch on the city as you're talking about. I want to build community like whatever that thing is that's so personal to you that you don't and won't stop short of it. So you you mentioned having enough passive income to do it. So I'm gonna I always like to put people on the spot. Ha, have you accomplished that yet?
2: Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah, we we I probably accomplished it last year, really. I think December of twenty twenty was the last time I really worried about money. Um, which is which is a good feeling, right? I mean, we ended up buying thirty five million dollars worth of real estate in twenty twenty one so to not be worried about money while buying that much real estate uh is a is a pretty good feeling um so you know i haven't hit the goals that i want to hit in terms of like a hundred percent passive income although there's nothing that's ever a hundred percent passive but you know getting my team on autopilot getting some of these properties on autopilot You know, I can see where we have laid the foundation to where five years from now I can retire if I really want to. But I'm not going to retire at 35. We've got a long road ahead of us. Dude,
1: hey, we just got done beating up on college. I'm going to go ahead and beat up on that word, retire. You're never going to retire, Tyler. Exactly. Please, please. You can't just sit around and wonder what to do with your day. You're going to be out looking at real estate. You're going to be putting deals together until the day you die. Like, let's just be real. Right. Dude,
2: real real estate is it's it's the gulf of business. Like you can literally you can do it for as long as you want to. I love it. and it's and Speaking I'm just language. I'm passionate about it. i I'd seriously just enjoy every single aspect of it. Um I mean, the good thing is like I can financially retire, right? and never worry about that ever again. But um' let's be real. That's never gonna happen. I can't do that.
1: That's right. So you just mentioned some of the obstacles that you're trying to put in place that will give you that kind of ability to just be on autopilot is your team and the business itself kind of being self-sustaining and and kind of operating on its own um, what are some things that you'll do to to put that in place
2: yeah a few more assets that are uh, fully stabilized and just cash flowing um, that'll be a good one and then i've got to find a partner for the businesses you know we find these partners for every single deal that we do but I haven't found somebody that's worth bringing on to my team to part to come in as a partner um, into either the brokerage or into my development company that makes sense for me yet. I, I need an operations partner, like somebody that can handle the day to day so that I can get back to just doing sales. Because like, what I'm good at is the acquisitions and the business development. Like, man, I can go find deals that nobody else can find. Like, that's just one of my hidden talents. And I thoroughly enjoy doing interviews, doing podcasts, you know, creating content for people on how to invest in commercial real estate, giving talks, uh, going to chamber events and ULI meetings, and and all of that kind of stuff, and just networking and building my uh, my my circle of influence, right? Uh, but I need somebody that whose skill set complements that and is able to run the team and run the day to day, and that's that's somebody that I can trust. So. That's, uh, you know, I've thought that I've come close to finding those people a couple of times, but it's, it's never really thoroughly worked out.
0: Well, Tyler, it's amazing. Thank you for coming on, sharing with our, our audience. If you haven't had a chance, go, go look up Tyler. He has a book out there, open for business, the insider's guide to leasing commercial real estate. Outside of that, where would you send people to find out more about you?
2: Yeah. If you want to learn about commercial real estate, I'm posting videos on YouTube all the time. So just look up Tyler Cobble on YouTube. Um, And if you want to connect with me, Instagram is the best way to do it at commercial in Nashville. So that's, that's where you can find me. Nice. Well, we will put all those show,
0: um, all those links in the show notes so you don't have to go search for that information. Tyler, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you for sharing. And as always, thank you for listening to this interview. If you found value in it, take time to rate and review it. That's how we can beat the the big corporate algorithm and have other people find us so that we can make an impact just as Tyler's making an impact on Nashville and in commercial real estate. Have a great day.